welcome to How Publishing Works from Caxton to Kindle. I'm your host, um, I'm Kate MacDonald, and today I am talking to two booksellers, Helen Simmons and Janet Breakspear of the Corsham Bookshop in Wiltshire. Welcome. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so we have two voices on the same microphone. Let's start with the basics. The Corsham Bookshop won the 2023 Muddy Stilettos Award for Best Bookshop in Wiltshire. Is this the bookshop's first award or have you got a shelf of statuettes? Hardly a shelf, but um, we have won other awards. We were shortlisted for the area finals of the Booksellers Best Independent Award and we've also won Muddy Stilettos before, but I think that's about it. But we don't put ourselves about much. <laughs> okay. And why did you open the Corsham Bookshop? Or did you buy it from somebody else? How did it begin? It began really a long time ago. Nine, no, not 19. 20, 2002. And uh, I was working at Waterstones. And a friend of mine left Waterstones and started the Caution Bookshop because he was fed up with selling product rather than books, I think is the baseline at that stage. Not always the case with Waterstones and they've improved in some way since, but at the time they were trying to shift product. Anyway, and I too was a bit fed up of this whole system. So I left too and had a part-time job with him for some time. And then in 2008, he decided to become a teacher and I bought the shop off him. That sounds like a big step. Not really, because I I kind of thought that running a small bookshop is what I could do and in a small town, which is what Corsham is. And having worked there, I could see exactly how you could make it work better than it was working at the time. Right, so that's Janet. What about you, Helen? How did you move into bookselling? Um, my very first Saturday job when I was about 15 was in a bookshop in Stroud and it was run by two very lovely people who were very kind to me and just were so well read and so literate and I kind of never quite got it out of my system so my first job was in a Sheraton Hughes in Cheltenham then I worked for Waterstones for quite a long time. Then I went and did some other things. And then I've worked in various bookshops before I ended up doing Caution Bookshop. I have been a fundraiser and a, and various other things, but bookshops seem to be where I'm happiness. It's what I know how to do. And is it just the two of you or have you got other staff? Um, well, believe it or not, I'm in charge, although it's not always evident. <laughs> um, and there are three other members of staff, well, and a Saturday girl, although she's just left to go on to greater things. Okay. So you're sort of scattered around the shop at different times, popping in and out. It's. I think it works very well having a, a selection of people, in, and that is partly a choice. Helen is far more full-time than any of the others. The others are very much sort of fill-ins, do half days here and there. But it means that if there's a crisis, there's usually somebody you can call on. So if Helen was suddenly ill, mm -hmm. I could call on one of the others to fill in for her. It also means, which I think is quite important, that 
different people like a different form of book selling so different customers i mean so some people come in and their faces fall when they see me behind the counter um and on the other hand they will light up when they see it see helen and vice versa to be honest and it's the same with all of us and some people like being served by one person and others by others and it's about which mm. books you like and what you recommend but also just personalities i guess so i think having a spread of different personalities so we should describe the shop it's really very small do you have any idea what the square meterage is i'm afraid i'm so old i only know the square footage which is 600 square foot i believe okay and you have two very large windows at right angles to each other and you're on the high street and the high street is spectacular um it's probably it's probably every single building is probably conservation listed grade two or thereabouts and it looks as though it's a film set has it been filmed a lot oh a fair bit we've just had rivals jilly cooper's rivals filmed in the high street which i missed because i was away but um helen you there were a lot of people with 1980s clothes walking up and down several times um and it was restored to the good old days of them. <laughs> and it was quite fun, although it must have been very boring as an extra. Mm -hmm. um, but they filmed Poldark, the first series of Poldark, um, Caution High Street was Truro, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, they also, I, they did um, bits of Tess of the Durbville here. And the suspicions of Mr. Witcher, that also the TV series, that was some of that was filmed in Caution too. So yeah. It is a, it's a fabulous sort of chocolate, chocolate boxy sort of place. It's not quite as pretty, pretty and medieval as Laycock, but it's, it just looks like Georgian, Georgian mercantile buildings with a, a stately manor at the end of the road with peacocks all over the road. I think it's also quite easy for them to convert it into whatever they want it to be because it's not too complicated and because it's pedestrianised, no traffic makes it a lot easier for it to become somewhere else in place so does that make a difference do you get people do you get tourists coming through looking for the film sets looking for the setting or does it do they, they not make themselves apparent um yeah there are certainly we have a sort of fan club of poldark particularly even though it was fairly brief it was only in the first series mm -hmm. um, and i think we get quite a lot of australian ladies looking for aiden turn around every corner mm -hmm. <laughs> And the first, the first couple of years, there there was a bus, a coach tour that went to all the places that they filmed Poldark. So they came on coaches. That was particularly good. Yeah. And, and does that mean that you also had an awful lot of Poldark in stock, like you maximised the exposure? Not so much. Um, an enterprising Caushamite did make a book of photographs of the filming which was our massive bestseller for about a year um, and then disappeared without trace. But we did very well with that book. Uh -huh. Oh, that sounds very heartening. Yeah. And you could also go to the post office and buy an Aidan Turner cushion if you wanted. Are they still available? I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> Lay your head upon. I'm not sure. I think not probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely. So let's go back to the bookshop. Um, you've got 600 square feet and how much, how many feet of bookshelves have you got? Mm, that I wouldn't know, to be honest. 
I'm afraid I couldn't tell you. I haven't measured it ever. Is that something that booksellers are supposed to know? Is it? I don't know. I mean, is it? Oh, well, I'm afraid if, if I'm supposed to know it, I'm falling down on the job. So seriously. <laughs> You've got a fairly packed shop because you go in the front door and you're faced with the selling desk. And there's a sort of cards and sundries area to the right by the windows. And then to the left, you've got shelves and a, a one aisle with little bays coming off and a biggish bit at the back. At least that's what it looked like last time I was in. Roughly how many books can you get in there? Is that something you also know or do you just get them in? Hmm. I don't think I know. Would you have a guess? No, I, I don't know either. It is quite a densely stocked shop which is one of the things we do think about quite often because we're used to it. But as a customer, less is more sometimes. So seeing a whole bookcase of spines is quite overwhelming and quite difficult to navigate through. So we do make quite an effort to kind of not have whole bookcases full of spines, but it doesn't always work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm wondering because I, yes, when I go to a bookshop and I have to crick my neck, and then look along the spines on the bottom shelf. I find that really difficult. So the bottom shelf doesn't often get looked at, especially as my eyes have got older and my glasses have changed. It's just impossible to get your head and your eyes in the right configuration so you can actually see the words. No. If I was an author, I would change my name if it began with W or Z. Oh, yeah. Although, actually, it depends. I mean, I've seen an author friend of mine had her book in Waterstones. It began with a J, and she was on the bottom shelf because... The J's ended up there. You can never predict it. Mm. Well, except for the Z's, which you have to say, always end up at the bottom shelf. <laughs> so the two large shop windows um, are fabulous for displaying all the books and the things you want people to stop and look at. But the sun is not your friend. How do you get around the problem of the sun burning up the pictures on the book covers? Well, it took us a few years to work this out. And... We spent a bit of time changing them in and out quite re um, regularly. But now what we do almost exclusively, except perhaps in the very deepest of winter, is um, do a colour photocopy of the front cover and then mount that and display that, which seems to work well, people understand. Occasionally people will come in and say, but you've got a paperback of this huge hardback in the, in the window. No, I'm afraid that's a photocopy of the front cover. But that's otherwise we would just lose too much stock to the window. But it's interesting that people assume, oh, it's a picture, therefore, oh, yeah, they, they start questioning you know, the format of it, whereas if they'd seen the book itself, they would see it's a massive great hardback. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And they probably wouldn't ask about a paperback. And compared to some shops, you look at other shops, We, although it's sometimes a, a hard work to think of what's put in them, we are actually very lucky because we've got at least sort of six pops at advertising individual titles and it does work. Mm -hmm. And people sit in the coffee shop on the other side of the road and look at the windows and then they come in and buy whatever's in the window. So mm, it's a good <laughs> advert for the shop. And you've got a lot of schools in Corsham, at least that's my impression. There seem to be an awful lot of school kids. Do you get a lot of children's fiction trade or even school texts? Yes, we, well, we both actually have a background in children's books anyway, in that 
I ran a children's section for Wolfstones in various different places and Helen ran a dedicated children's bookshop. So we both have a fairly strong um, affinity with the children's section. So there are a lot of children and we do sell a lot of children's books and we have relationships with some of the local schools, not others. And it's a lot of it's personal in that we know some of the teachers and they will come in and ask for advice or order books. And we, one of the local academy trusts has started using us in the last couple of years, really, mm-hmm. which they didn't used to before. So now our net spreads even wider because they cover a huge area going sort of 30 miles south of here, 30, 40 miles. So we have actually been supplying a school in Shaftesbury, which is a long way from us. And they they transport the books for us, so that's even better. <laughs> But that break, yeah, that reminds me that really you, you're one, yeah, the nearest bookshop to you must be about 15 miles away in Trowbridge. Um, no, because Bath is only nine miles and Bath is hooching with very good bookshops. Indeed, very good bookshops there. Um, and there is a Waterstones in Chippenham. That's true, yes. Which is a reasonable Waterstones, it's not. Mm-hmm. It seems very good when I've been in there. Yeah, Chippenham's about 10 minutes drive away. So, but for people, yeah, people who are coming out of their houses doing their local shopping, they'll come to you. But if they were going to the big supermarket, they still might come to you because there is no bookshop near the big supermarket. They'd have to go into the town centre of Chippenham. Yeah, yeah. And also a lot of people come to us because they want us to stay there. Mm. So they're, they're, I think people are quite aware of their what they've got in the high street in Corsham, not just us, but in terms of all the other shops. I mean you could actually live in Corsham as an elderly person without a car and have everything you needed, you know, on your doorstep. So I think people do appreciate that. And in a sense, because we've been bookselling for millions of years, the service they get from us would be as hopefully as knowledgeable as it would anywhere else. Mm -hmm. That's what we try to do. so. So what other services does the shop offer the town as well as selling your books? Well, we... We have quite an extensive events program, as you know, to your cost, (laughs) (laughs) which are pretty popular. And and over the years, they've got more and more so. And I think the thing that we've done most successfully is we've done quite a lot of cookery events, and that's been incredibly popular. We also do a thing called a perfect present, which is basically... um, uh, can't remember what you call them. Subscription. Thank you. (laughs) We do a subscription service. I couldn't think what it was called. We call it Perfect Present, which we probably don't advertise enough, but people, when they do it, do really like our particular subscription service. And it has been compared favourably to others, I have to say. Mm. How does the cookery session work? Have you got a little cookery, like, do the cooks actually do the cooking? Well, I think we've sort of tempted them down here by saying it's all right we'll do the cooking and (laughs) which both Helen and I actually enjoy cooking so this does work and we have been in a couple of other venues in Corsham so we've been in the town hall we did a whole supper club in the town hall which was very complicated but it did work and more recently we've been in church house which is basically the church hall for um, our local church 
where they've got a very small kitchen so we can heat stuff up and we can plate it all up in their kitchen give people the food um, tasters and I think that's because we're relatively small it means that we can't do it in the shop there really isn't room but in these other venues we can actually give people a decent taste of various different things and it proves that the cookery books do work because we're doing the cooking not the cookery writers yep that is a pretty good guarantee yes because if, if people yeah they can see it anyone can do this even the bookshop sellers mm. <laughs> really really good <laughs> let's talk about selling so what is a typical daily routine in the shop no day is the same in the caution bookshop <laughs> <laughs> tell us what happened yesterday then i was having a day off except i did come into the shop because um the county council at trowbridge wanted some books which had arrived and i agreed to deliver them and i also then delivered a book to another customer who's housebound so hey well that was my day off <laughs> and then helen can tell you what happened yesterday in the shop our, our days have a sort of pattern but it varies from normal time and school holiday time so because we're in school holidays now it tends to start off quite quietly and then after about half past 10 they've all got out of bed and starting to come around and the tourists have all had their breakfast and come out of the hotels or wherever so it was pretty busy in the middle of the day and then tailed off towards the end of the day so we actually did take quite a bit of money and I also we have deliveries we have one delivery most days which we use a wholesaler so we get next day's service from them so that's that's a fairly big chunk of most days because we get a delivery from them every day which is basically our reordering from the day before mm -hmm. plus we get odd deliveries from if we've ordered things from publishers reps they'll come in which need unpacking and other things like cards or some of the other things we sell mainly cards and stationery items and i did some returns sending things back that we haven't sold which not the thing publishers like to know about, but we don't have a huge number. We aim to not have too many, but mm -hmm. now and again, we do do some returns. So it was a mixture of serving customers and unpacking and sending things back. And stock management, really. So what is the process? You receive a box of books from the wholesaler, and presumably it's, it's a random selection that has been ordered by, by customers or you restocking. Do they all have to be entered into your computer system so you know you've got the you've got them in, or you have to reconcile invoices and things like that? Yeah, yeah. No, our system has. So when we sell it, it it means the book shows that we've got none in stock. So when we reorder every we every evening we reorder, and if we want to reorder it again, it will come the next day. And then when we receive the order, when we process it, it puts it back on the system, so it tells us we've got one. And then we decide when we're reordering whether we want it again or don't want it again. Mm -hmm. Or a big cheer when the last time we sold that book was in 2012. It's just like, yes, it's gone. <laughs> we deleted it. Um, yeah. But it's a very, it's a very good system. It, it could possibly be done more efficiently. But for a small shop who we rely on having a, a fast service of ordering things in a way to compete with Amazon and other wholesale, you know, online people. Mm. If we get something next day, 
people do sometimes it sort of sways people from oh I might go and see if they've got it in Chippenham to oh well if I can get it next day I'll order it from so it's quite a big selling point for us that you know if the book's in stock and it all goes as it ought to it will be there the next day yes it's very attractive yeah it's quite an efficient service when it works I'd I would like to put in a word for how marvellous I think the fact that the book trade allows you to return a certain amount of stock, how fantastic that is, because it actually means that you will are prepared to take a risk on things. And it does make the book book the whole book trade work so much better. I dread the day when they start or if you publishers people <laughs> start saying, oh, no, you know, we can't. I mean, we only return a small amount in that I think our allowance at the wholesaler is only 5% of what we buy. Mm-hmm. So most of what we buy, we sell um, or we keep it. Right. But actually it does keep the stock very fresh, mm-hmm. the fact mm-hmm. that we return. Mm-hmm. And it means that what we've got is pretty up to the minute. I mean, sometimes you go past a an advertising hoarding or something and think, oh, blimey, we should have had that. But it doesn't happen too often. Mostly we've got our finger on what's going on there. So how do you select the books? How do you decide what you want to what want to get in? It's a real combination of all sorts of sources so that it can be as basic as walking past the advertising hoarding and thinking, oh, blimey, we should have had that. But hopefully it's a combination of... I guess reading reviews is quite a big thing. Um, Customer input is quite a big thing. The gardener's listings we use. Yeah, we use our wholesalers. They they, their website and they send a thing out every month of new things coming out. And we see because we see some publishers' reps, we know what they're doing. So, for example, today we've been doing September and October with one of our reps, which is basically Christmas. So. Let's unpack that a minute. So you've been doing September and October with the rep. So the sales rep from the publishing company is presenting you with the covers of the books that are due to come out in September and October. So why is there such a long delay? Because we're only recording this now in July. I think they always... I don't know. I don't know why there is such. I guess it means that they know they can get a rough idea of what sort of sales they're going to get on titles. And I guess there are some of them they know exactly that's going to be their lead title and they're going to sell thousands of it. But there might be some odd book that every bookseller they see goes, oh, wow, that's brilliant. Let's have five of those. Mm-hmm. And that gives them a bit of an eye, a bit of a sort of clue as to how their list is being received. I, I really don't know why it, it's so it always has been like that it's probably got a lot to do with um how many copies they want to print and if they detect a sudden rush of interest then they've got Mm. time to print more of a second print run and also they probably most publishers probably know what's coming out next january and next 18 months ahead they're on their schedules but it's just we get to see it and also i think it maybe helps us get an idea of what you know just from that one rep you can get an idea of what some of the big books might be at Christmas from that particular publisher. So So let's go back to that. You say, so September and October, which is Christmas. So why are the books that are to be published in September and October, why are they considered to be the Christmas books? 
because people start buying for Christmas way in advance. I, my sister was a primary school teacher and she reckoned to get Christmas sewn up by the end of half term because she had no time between then and the 20th of December when they broke up. So I certainly, I buy all the cards for the shop because we have a lot of greetings cards. And I certainly make sure that we've got all the Christmas cards in place by half term. Which is October, end of October, yeah. So, and the same applies to books. And that's, mm. that is when people start buying for Christmas. In fact, some slightly worrying people will say in July, well, I saw this and I knew this would be right for my son, so I'm buying it now for Christmas. <laughs> we, we are always slightly perturbed by those mm. people, but hey. And I, I also, I suppose it means if a book comes out September, October, it gets it, its reviews, it gets its advertising, yeah. it gets its 15 minutes of fame then. And that's when people do start making their lists for what they might want or making ideas of what they might buy people. So it, I think it's a sort of way of them all just showing their wares so that people can start kind of... Mm. Mm-hmm. Because it is, it's the main selling time for book selling. You know, there's, I can't remember the statistic, but there is some stupid figure about how, I don't know, I think it's like 80% of all the book sales in the UK are in the sort of 12 weeks. I, I'm not. It's, that is wrong. It's not 80%. Probably, but, but it's, it's, it's an awful big. lot of the profit for yeah. our shop is in the last six weeks before Christmas. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. So without, without the, if they abolish Christmas next week, we'd manage, but we'd be a lot, lot poorer. The average, you know, some months we'd barely be into profit because, I mean, it would be fine. It would, because that includes wages and everything, mm-hmm. but not mine, sadly. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it is that last six weeks. So last year we had snow in the week before the week before Christmas, and that really impacted the, the whole year. Wow. Because people weren't coming out of, out of the house to go to the shop. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. the more elderly customers who quite rightly thought it's icy out there and it was icy for an entire week mm. and our more elderly customers thought no i'm not going <laughs> quite rightly because they'll fall over break their hips and that would be it or- and now think thinking backwards this is why if september october books are the beginning of the christmas rush and the big profitable season this is why the september issue and the september publication rush is so important because every year in the trade, you know that there's a particular date in September where huge numbers of books are going to be published all at the same time. Super Thursday. Yeah. Although I think that's it's a mistake when they all come out on the same day because things get lost in the rush. If you see what I'm. Okay, so you've you've chosen your titles, um, and the customers are guiding you, and I suppose the customers are guiding you in random ways from things they just want to buy as well as oh i've just seen this on the telly or in the papers and i want a copy are there any i mean do you get school reading lists as well to fulfill do you get regular annuals an annual routine of it's that time of year must get these books in no <laughs> well, yeah, really. occasionally no. i think one of our the local private school yeah. does sometimes do summer reading lists and to be brutal, often if they are, they tend to be rather outdated, the school reading lists. Mm-hmm. And we kind of feel that we've got quite a lot of good information about more up-to-date titles that children might enjoy that often 
you know, if teachers have been in the profession for quite a long time, they kind of go back to the ones that they know and are not so aware of the new ones. But that's maybe harsh. I don't know. Mm, although, to, to be fair, I think also a lot of teachers now do actually read a lot more children's books than they used to do. I think they do just yeah. from some of the school orders we've had recently I mean we've True. we've discovered new books from them yeah so I think I think I think that has come on a lot I think the whole Harry Potter thing did a huge amount for yeah raising the profile of children's publishing generally and just you know encouraging grown-ups to read children's books just they never did before it was always the second poor relation of book selling mm -hmm. and getting boys to read books yes mm. it's always been a problem Mm. Does Corsham have any particular local interest books that always do well? Yes, our, our persistent bestseller is called Secret Underground Corsham. I've seen the cover, yes. <laughs> and I suspect that we are probably one of the few shops in the country that sell it at all, let alone have it as month after month our top bestseller. And it's all about the the quarries under Corsham where originally the Bath Stone came out and then it became an army arms dump during the war and a shadow factory and then became a Cold War bunker and now is the Joint Communications Computer Centre which you can read into what you like but I am um, anybody who told you exactly what they did down there would probably have to shoot you. <laughs> And that's why the book is so important. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> right. You mentioned Harry Potter. Um, I, I wasn't living in the UK when Harry Potter came out because of reasons. But I do remember the huge excitement with midnight openings of bookshops to release the new Harry Potter on the world because the embargo was so strictly adhered to. Was that really unusual? Yes. Not, not to have the, the midnight parties, but to keep to the embargo so... Hmm. I still there are some books where I would keep to the embargo and some where I wouldn't bother <laughs> for example the Prince Harry book Spare I don't think we would have put that one out if it had come in the day before it did didn't I think it did come in the day before yeah. but we said so we didn't put sell it, it. We one, one sell like it. that where it's got a lot of secrecy around it and but when they embargo the paperback of a hardback novel what are you embargoing it from? Yeah, people already know it. Occasionally I've said to customers, they said, oh, well, I'm in town today and I can't come in for another week when my son drives me in. And I'll say, well, look, buy it today and then, you know, just don't tell anybody. Don't ring the times and tell them, otherwise I'll be in deep trouble. What was, what was the last big book celebration launch that you managed to have at the bookshop? A launch? I don't think. Ooh. Well, not a launch, but a, um, the book came out in print and you did an event to to signify that. We've only, only ever done that for people that we know, <laughs> that we've done a big launch for a new book. Yeah, most most of our events are for sort of books that are they're coming out, but we're not doing a launch. We're just doing an event because it's a new book and we think it's the kind of book our customers would like. And that is probably already doing several other things at different shops because that's the publishers have got budget for them to travel around and do it. But I don't think we've ever done big, not a high profile glitzy, you know. Before I owned the shop, we did do some 
um, midnight Harry Potter launches, but that's about it. Mm. And there is the the Bath Spa University Creative Writing MA is based or was based at Corsham Court. So some of the people on that who used to use the shop when they were studying mm -hmm. every now and again, yeah. if they got a book published, we would do a launch for them. Let's consider the life cycle of a book on your shelf. So you've unpacked um, the brand new not brand new novel by a Sunday Times best-selling author and it's a hardback how many copies are you likely to have ordered or does that really depend on the book it depends so much on the book and to be honest our record with hardback fiction even with the most best-selling author is not fantastic so I should think the maximum we've ever ordered of hardback fiction is probably six. <laughs> oh, really? Gosh, that's low. That will make publishers very unhappy. I don't understand why hardback fiction is sold at all. It should go straight to paperback. Something like the Hilary Mantels, for example, we certainly did get in in advance and we did get probably between six and ten. I mm. can't remember. Mm. But we are, as you have already mentioned, we are really very small. We don't have storage. And actually, given that we can get nearly everything in next day, unless we're going to sell 10 in the first two days, there's really not much point getting more than a few. Yes, it makes such a difference knowing that the books can be restocked in 24 hours. So there's no need for you to have a lot on. No. And we only really sell huge quantities of hardback fiction at Christmas. So, for example, the, the Robert Galbraith hardback last year that did really well for mm -hmm. us but if that had come out in april or may we wouldn't have sold nearly as many mm. um, and the other problem about those and we do say this to our customers is look this robert galbraith it's 22 pounds or something i can't remember what it was but it probably was 22 pounds but if you go to smith's it'll probably be half price let alone online when it'll again be half price and you know, or the new Jamie Oliver cookbook that's going to be half price in Sainsbury's two miles up the road. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I genuinely do say that to people. And sometimes they say, oh, thank you. Actually, I will. I'll leave it for now, which is fine, because I've that's why I've told them. Or they'll say, oh, I'm in town. And anyway, I'd like to support you. Go on, I'll go and buy it. Because sometimes the prices that the big retailers are selling books at are is lower than the price we're buying it at. Mm, mm -hmm. So really those big titles in a way are not our bread and butter at all. No, okay. So it's it's more people like you, <laughs> who <laughs> people are less likely to have come across and you know aren't going to find hugely discounted on the internet or in Smiths mm -hmm. are probably where we really score well. Yeah, well, that's good to hear feel very valued and also given that we know most of our customers either quite well or you know a bit there's something that seems a bit deceitful about taking 22 pounds for a huge cookbook when you've seen it for a fiver in Sainsbury's it just seems a bit wrong to me it's it that and you know it's not many books that are like that it's you know it's a sort of tiny percentage of the real big best-selling ones and we sell enough of the other backlist stuff where people to pay the same price that it seems a bit sort of sneaky to say oh yeah thank you very much when 
What do you do with the books that don't sell? You've already said that you do returns, so you send the books that don't sell back to the to the to the wholesaler. Well, there's there's two avenues really for the things that for whatever reason we can't return which might be we just overlooked them and didn't because there is a, a returns window. Um, so if we've missed that, there are two avenues. One is that we leave it on the shelf and hope it might sell. So, and some things, for example, I happen to know we have a copy of a Penguin classic of Samuel Johnson's letters that has been on the shelf in classics for many a long year, I would say. Um, but on the other hand, I'm not that upset about that because it sits there and somebody will look at it and think, oh, they've got some Samuel Johnson. That's quite interesting. Um, and maybe one day it'll sell. It wouldn't be the end of the world. So the second avenue um, would be we finally get fed, fed up of it. And <laughs> Helen does most of our returns. So I'll say to Helen, just you can pull off. 30 titles you really really don't want to ever see ever again and i'll put them in the box and take them to oxfam in marlborough <laughs> <laughs> so that's donations really you you write them off yeah how long do you wait then before you decide i can't stand the look of that book any longer i've got to get rid of it it's never going to sell it, it depends entirely on the book i would say so like I say, that Johnson's been there for years, mm -hmm. literally. I think it's been there seven or eight years. I see it now and then and think, oh, well, you know, and I don't mind it being there. It's fine. I think in the end somebody will see it and think, oh, that's rather interesting. I would. I'd, I'd be interested in reading it, to be honest. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I would I would be impressed as well that, good Lord, they have Samuel Johnson. Well, that's, that's Exactly. Yeah. So, um so that's a really different – I don't think you can say, oh, it's after three years or if it's after five years – or it's just when it just looks scruffy and it's something that was rather of its moment that you don't really want to see ever again. Mm. <laughs> and what books do you always keep in stock? The kind of books, not necessarily titles, but um, books that you know are going to keep selling. Yeah, we were talking about this the other day because we went on a, a visit to another shop to have a look around and they have a lot more face outs and their shelves aren't as crowded. And we were thinking, oh, this looks nice. And we were thinking, okay, what are the books on our shelves that we really couldn't, if you were opening a bookshop, you wouldn't not have that book. So for example, if you don't have Pride and Prejudice, you probably would feel like you might have to go into a corner and cry as a bookseller. Or if you don't have, I don't know, what else can I think of? There are certain books like that that you always think, oh, no, we should have The Handmaid's Tale and we should have... Poisonwood Bible. Poisonwood Bible and we should have... Lord of the Flies. Yeah, all those sorts of books or 1984 or um, there's several books like that where you think, no, we should always, always have those. And then apart from that, there's a whole other layer of things of greater and then slightly lesser and slightly lesser and... But then within that, it's also the ones that we really love. There are books that we each personally, there are favourite books mm. that, although probably we don't sell that many of them, you want to always have it because when somebody comes in and you know that they will like that book, it's part of your toolkit for, have you read this? Have you read this? Oh, good. So what are your favourite books then? Which are the ones that you will keep in because you love them so much? 
um, for me, it's the Radetzky March by Joseph Roth. <laughs> okay. <Sorry. laughs> and for me, it just absolutely shows how shallow I am. It's Diary of a Provincial Lady. <laughs> Not shallow. Gosh, that's such a wonderful book. <laughs> They're brilliant. <laughs> but it does rather, I think that explains our personalities completely. Mm -hmm. yeah. okay. <laughs> and it also illustrates why it's good to have a range of different people serving in the shop because the customer that wants to read. They might not be the same person. I mean, there is a Venn diagram somewhere where the people who read, I mean, I've read them both, but um, which is why it's good because we've all got such different tastes and customers have such different tastes. Everybody does. Where, where are the best places in the shop to put books that will grab people's attention? We have a bunch of little bookcases known in the trade as dump bins, which have, a, they're all face out. So they're all the covers facing out and those are really good and the table where the fiction is is always good and does well and to a degree the till although I sometimes think that's it does sell things but not always and sometimes mm. things sit there too long frankly mm. when of course in the end if it's sitting there while you're waiting you look at it and pick it up and then mm. people do sometimes buy it but I think more the yes definitely tables the main thing other than down in children's when it's somehow different where we do have books on a surface but they don't sell that well from there they mm. sell much better from the picture books or even mm. the board books which are all spine on because there's mm. no room but they still sell incredibly well from there it mm. is slightly different in children's i don't know why i yeah children's children's book selling is it is a completely different animal from other as well as children's books publishing it's yeah. it's, it's where we were both brought up with children <laughs> so and also in this if i think children are, are happier looking through maybe that's just because they're younger and their eyes are better <laughs> bottom shelf isn't a challenge for them <laughs> <laughs> they're closer to the ground <laughs> is this a good time to be a bookseller and i ask because we read in the trade press that in indie publishers are having a really rough time because we're getting squeezed by the, the the cost of the war the cost of paper the cost of brexit but indie bookshops seem to be popping up a lot more there seemed to be there was a rush of new independent bookshops in britain towards the tail end of the pandemic and subsequently so is it a good time to be a bookseller in britain yes <laughs> I suspect we are slightly at the dinosaur end of the bookselling sort of um, diaspora, as it were. And there's a lot of rather niche bookshops popping up that in a good way. So you were talking about that bookshop, that natural history bookshop you went to. Mm. And that where there are people having... I mean, I suppose there always were specialist bookshops, but these are much more kind of groovy and much more curated. Oh, is that Little Toller in, in Britain? No, it's it's a bookshop called the Fold Bookshop in Shaftesbury. Oh. And it's very small, but it's very beautiful. And they just do kind of books to do with the natural world. Mm -hmm. And that's a, been a real growth area of of publishing and it's the, one of the sort of new areas like back in the day when we started there was travel writing and there was history and biography and they were much simpler 
um, there's a whole new lot of books which seem to be lots much more sort of blended subjects. So it's partly about people exploring butterflies or whatever, but and that's a huge growth area. And I think they've just been really clever at, at sort of finding that niche. Mm. And, but they're not the only ones. No. There was an article in the Guardian, I think yesterday, about all the series of bookshops that have started in Birmingham, different people, different places, but catering to different trades. Much more sort of niche, much more curated than we are. I think we're more scattergun. <laughs> Maybe we should be, <laughs> but um, although I don't know, I think it's we are a small town with a wide range of people with a wide range of interests. So maybe being a small general bookshop is what the town needs, actually. Mm. Yes, because it was, that was in Birmingham, which has obviously yeah. got a much bigger, you know. So you know, there's room for there to be things serving different groups and interests sort but of Shaftesbury is tiny yeah no Shaftesbury really is tiny although Shaftesbury is also quite touristy so yeah. I guess it's the kind of shop that would appeal to people wandering wandering about but and I do think people sometimes appreciate there being slightly less some people certainly we get it said to us quite often that people feel a bit overwhelmed when they walk into one of the bigger shops because it's, they just don't quite know where to go um and whereas we're kind of easier to find our way around your way around in some senses because there's not much of us to walk about <laughs> no it's like a very large living room really <laughs> not an echoing cavern well that was terrific thank you so much um it's been really good picking away at the book selling trade so yeah thank you very much for being on the podcast well thank you thank you for having us <laughs>